Since China's controversial new security laws on Tuesday, thousands of people in Hong Kong took to the streets in protest. Police fired water cannon and tear gas and have reportedly arrested nearly 400 people. So to discuss the significance and the impact of all of this, uh, we're very pleased to have a visiting law professor at Princeton University joining us on the line, Dr. Martin Flaherty. Hello. Hello. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Flaherty. So we've been seeing these ongoing protests in Hong Kong. We've seen uh, the Chinese parliament now pass this uh, very uh, controversial security bill. Some people saying this is um, maybe the most radical change uh, for the former British colony uh, since handover 23 years ago. As you observe the whole situation, did you anticipate that it would come to this? Um, yes and no. Uh, for a long time, it looked like uh, the real problem was going to be with an extradition law, which caused a lot of the mass demonstrations uh, from uh, this past year. Nobody really expected that Beijing would counterpunch with uh, a law that essentially ends the one country, two systems uh, policy. With the uh, ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, and uh, I think we have to say, for the most part, Hong Kong uh, as a city-state has handled the pandemic quite well, uh, despite its proximity to China, the initial epicenter of all of this. Uh, but the, the protests and the violence are ongoing. One, one person even arrested after he was searched, and a, a Hong Kong independence flag was found in his bag. I know there are a lot of concerns from international human rights organizations in regards to the situation, but where do you stand on this idea that if you can express some opinion on independence that you would be considered a threat to national security? Um, That seems pretty clear under this law. The law is certainly broad enough to cover expressions like that, and I've already seen reports that the authorities have said that that, uh, signs that say conscious or liberate Hong Kong um, would be considered expressions uh, that are pro-independence that would be prohibited under this law. And when you look at the uh, kind of the the language of this new security law, crimes of separatism, subversion, terrorism, uh, collusion with foreign or external forces uh, can be punishable by a minimum sentence of three years and a maximum of life imprisonment. So we we see this uh, one example that we just cited about uh, an individual who's arrested after having uh, a, a Hong Kong independence flag found in his bag. That's a scary situation, but there are a lot of protesters who are on the front lines and a lot of these prominent uh, democracy uh, protest leaders who have been uh, pretty uh, aggressive in various media uh, appearances. Uh, what would happen to them? I mean, uh, you would imagine if they are indeed uh, prosecuted, it would be to the full extent of this uh, current law, right? Yes, uh, and that's not the only problem. They could be not only prosecuted to the full extent of the law as very broadly and vaguely written, but um, they could also be um, tried in the mainland itself under the mainland judicial system, which is uh, night and day different from the judicial system in Hong Kong. And uh, the Chinese government, the central government there, they're going to establish a new um, security commission, apparently headed by the uh, the Beijing-appointed top leader, also an agency to analyze the uh, the national security situation uh, as they deem it in Hong Kong, uh, monitor, supervise, coordinate, and support the uh, local government's efforts, um, even things like 
collecting intelligence, uh, handling some of these uh, relevant local cases. So uh, there's a little bit of ambiguity here, Professor. Uh, There's not a clear definition of what would necessarily constitute national security crimes. And as you say, um, it seems like uh, they can uh, pretty much randomly apply this however uh, they wish. In terms of the remnants of the old uh, British colonial system in Hong Kong, how, 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 would, how do you think does, this does uh, threaten the uh, existing Hong Kong judicial system and their independence? Well, it does it in a couple of ways. Uh, near the beginning of this law, there's a preface that says the uh, existing judiciary in Hong Kong shall uh, uh, prosecute and deal with cases in a way that's consistent with the national security of, of the motherland, so to speak. But the real difficulty is what I just referred to, the fact that either the Hong Kong government or this new mainland office that you just referenced can in handling, and you quoted the right term, handling uh, cases under certain broad categories could just refer cases to uh, mainland prosecutors and mainland courts in which uh, due process protections really don't exist. From the international law perspective, is there an argument here? Some critics are saying that uh, this new law ends the freedoms that were explicitly guaranteed for 50 years uh, when the British handover occurred um, and the rule of uh, British uh, colonial powers ended in 1997. So then I I guess the uh, legal question, technically speaking, is, uh, is China in the wrong here? Did they have the right to do this? Um, Not under international law. Um, There's a strong argument that... uh, China has violated uh, numerous of uh, its international obligations. One is the Sino-British Joint Declaration, which is a treaty between the United Kingdom and China that set the terms for the handover and by which China guaranteed a high degree of autonomy for Hong Kong. Another is the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, which under the terms of the handover applies with full force to Hong Kong. And indeed, China itself has signed that uh, covenant as well. And even though it hasn't ratified it, it's still under an international obligation, even within China, not to take steps that uh, undermine that covenant, which, among other things, guarantees free speech, due process, and an array of familiar rights. So potentially a violation of international law. Uh, people who follow your uh, academic work know that you've researched China, Northern Ireland, Turkey. Uh, interestingly, you said in an interview uh, with uh, Voice of America recently that Beijing is imitating the bad precedents of many Western nations of setting a separate and draconian judicial system. That may be um, taking some people aback, the, the people who kind of have this more idea of American exceptionalism and what have you. Could you elaborate on what you meant by that? Well, in some of the human rights work I've done, uh, one a common feature of, uh, of regimes that perceive uh, uh, national security threats is to create a separate judicial system that lacks fundamental due process uh, protections and other fundamental rights. So uh, my earliest experiences go back to the way the United Kingdom did this in Northern Ireland uh, back in the 80s and 90s. Turkey has a similar system uh, through which it deals with the Kurds. And uh, while I didn't mention it in that interview, so too does the United States with its 
military tribunals in Guantanamo. Mm. So uh, this tried and true method uh, has been used around the world, but it's going to be used, it looks like, with a vengeance by uh, Beijing when it comes to Hong Kong. Right. And, and they're, they're, they would be able to then just cite that precedent, basically kind of a uh, uh, whataboutism type of uh, deal if, if they are criticizing and say, well, look at what uh, you guys in Northern Ireland and the U.S. did with Guantanamo. That could be their argument, right? Yeah, well, which is not much of an argument because it's, it really comes down to, uh, well, I did something wrong, so that makes, or you did something wrong, so that makes something wrong I do okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, the point is none of these violations are okay. And uh, uh, it's incumbent upon the international community to point out such violations, regardless of where they occur. The uh, Western nations have uh, reacted to this uh, following the imposition of this new security law. Uh, the UK will offer visas to Hong Kong citizens uh, and uh, give them a British national overseas status. Also, the U.S. House of Representatives uh, approved this new Hong Kong-related uh, sanctions bill. Uh, what, what do you think the international community should be doing, and have they been uh, reacting appropriately so far, including uh, measures like removing special trade status for Hong Kong? That's uh, a, a good and sometimes uh, at points tricky question. I, I think that it is very laudable what the United Kingdom has done mm. in uh, uh, opening up um, uh, its borders to, you know, potentially a large number of Hong Kong refugees. And it's rather ironic that Beijing says that's an interference with China's internal affairs when it's about uh, the United Kingdom uh, allowing people to come into its nation. Um, the trickier part is sanctions, um, because economic sanctions can often hurt the population you're trying to help. Now, in certain instances, that population will still welcome sanctions. Nelson Mandela did it with regard to the ANC in South Africa. Mm-hmm. But in other situations, um, the application of sanctions can backfire. So in this instance, you know, I think it really comes down to what do the people of Hong Kong want from the international community when it comes to the economic side. Yeah, speaking of the economic side, uh, with the security law, a uh, lot of uncertainty. Uh, journalists, activists, artists, even business communities uh, may be leaving the city. Hong Kong, long known as uh, a central hub in Asian finance. Is that uh, in jeopardy right now? Yeah, I think that's in real jeopardy because one of the things that uh, kept Hong Kong uh, preeminent uh, in East Asia uh, as a financial center was precisely its um, uh, respected legal system and it, uh, the fact that there was freedom of uh, the press and uh, freedom of speech. I think those are all under a severe attack right now. Uh, and one other thing I should point out is there's a feature of this law that I've seen in almost no other law, which is anyone anywhere in the world can be subject to this law. So if I tell you, if I'm in Seoul and I say Hong Kong should be independent, I will have broken that law. No, I am not a Hong Kong resident and I didn't utter the speech in Hong Kong. Yeah, very uh, concerning indeed. We'll leave it there. Uh, Visiting law professor at Princeton University, Dr. Martin Flaherty. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you.